Well, good morning and happy Easter. I hope that today has already been a blessed day and that God blesses today in ways that maybe you've never been blessed on Easter. It's going to look different for all of us, not just most of us, but all of us. And I hope that uh, it's a good day. It is a good day because we're celebrating the resurrection of Christ. Uh, you know, this is going to be a different day because we're not celebrating Easter in our church building, uh, but we remain the church. And so one of the things that, that Brother James and I both have wanted to be mindful of and even communicating this to you guys is that this is why we celebrate the resurrection every single Sunday, because it's not relegated to one day. You know, the reason the church gathers on Sunday is because that's the day that Jesus, the Bible tells us Jesus is resurrected from the dead. And so every Sunday that we gather is purposed to be a new resurrection day. And so as we gather right now in front of your television or your computer or your phone, that's exactly what this is, is that this is a new resurrection day and certainly a day worth rejoicing. Uh, because it's a day worth rejoicing, we're asking you to do something maybe outside of your comfort zone and maybe for some of you guys right in your comfort zone. And that is to take a picture of your family uh, in whatever capacity you look like right now and upload it to Facebook and uh, tag our Facebook page at, at Spring Hill Baptist so that we can see and just have some sort of camaraderie and community over that. I think it's going to be fun. Some of you guys will probably make a goofy picture and that's fine. Some of you uh, may look Amish and solemn and I guess that's fine too. Uh, but you dress however makes you happy. Brooke told me to give you guys a little bit of a heads up. So I did that on Wednesday because she said that she will want to be a little maybe more cleaned up than she usually would. So hey, you guys get cleaned up and, and take that picture and upload it as a way to just build camaraderie with our church, even though we are afar. Uh, you know, today we're going to celebrate Christ and we're going to look at the word here in just a few moments. And in so doing, you know, I just want to remind you that we live in very uncertain times. Turn on the television or look on the news outlet on your phone and you will see that very clearly. We live in uncertain times, but I want to remind you, we have a very, very certain future, and that is that Christ is alive. And therefore, we who are in Christ will be made alive. So as we do our thing this morning, we are celebrating Christ in everything that we say and do. I have a couple of announcements that I want to let you guys know about. First of all, regarding giving, man, thank you guys so much, those of you that have been faithful to give financially and to give your prayer thoughts and, and encouragements to those in our church and those in our community. Regarding giving, I've been telling you guys that online giving is coming, and now it's here, all right? So uh, there's going to be a link that you'll see at the bottom of your screen right now, and then also we'll put that in the description of this video. You are welcome to take advantage of that asset, or you can continue to mail in checks if that is just more in your comfort zone. You go for it. Either way is, is perfectly fine with us. Uh, we just want that to be that asset to be available, uh, and so that it is, all right? And there's different uh, things that you'll see on the website. There's, there's reoccurring giving, and there's designated offerings and things of that sort. And so go check that out and sort of just browse around and see everything that that has to offer. But there will be more information that comes regarding that website, and we'll troubleshoot some things. But it's working, and we're thankful for that. Thankful that God can use that technology to further his kingdom, all right? So I want to let you guys know that that's going on. Also... Continue to join us for our midweek devotional Bible studies on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock via Facebook Live. And then also the students are gathering uh, via Zoom where Brother James is meeting with them in a little their video chat and they're having devotional as well. I think that's at 6.30 on Wednesday nights. That'll keep going on and make sure to spread the word about that. Uh, we're not able to meet at the church building, but again, we can worship together uh, in that capacity. Also, those of you, you know, we don't want to be ignorant. I know that many prayer needs still exist, and we live, as I said, in uncertain times. And so if you have prayer needs, please uh, stay plugged in to the body of Christ. 
tell us what we can be praying for for you. Shoot me a text message or an email or, or a direct message on Facebook, and I'll make sure that you are prayed for and that you are sought after in whatever capacity that we can. Uh, and then finally, just a reminder that at the end of this uh, video, you'll see discussion questions for the morning message, and those are intended, as this message is intended, to be a group exercise. Uh, this is a two-way avenue of communication, but it's also helpful that we discuss the word together and let it marinate in our hearts. And so I hope that uh, that is the case and that you and your family or those that live under your roof gather over a meal or just in fellowship after the message and discuss it, that we may grow in Christ's likeness together. You know, that is a venture that we can't fulfill unless God be with us and that God is making that happen. And so what I want to do now is to pray with each other and ask God to grow our hearts and to stretch us and that today, this resurrection day, we would lean on the resurrected Savior. All right, let's pray together. Father, we thank you that you are alive in Christ, that you have made us alive in Christ, and that Lord, we will be in eternity with you. And so even now, we live days with you. Today, Lord, as we examine the Word of God, we pray that you would write it on our hearts and that we would be uplifted and that we would feel certain of who you are in very uncertain days. We love you and we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is our anthem and it is our marching orders. We pray these things in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. If you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and open it to the book of Job. We're going to be in the book of Job, chapter 19. It's right around the book of Psalm. Uh, if you want to look in your table of contents, you'll have a few moments to get there. We're not going to read the passage for, for a couple of minutes, okay? But Job 19 is where we're going to be uh, this morning. Job 19. We're going to look at verses 25 through 27, and the verses that really preceded immediately, but that's mainly where we're going to be. You know, we live in a time right now where there's a lot of questions and really one main question that's surrounding our life, and that is simply, when will normal life resume? And no one really knows the answer to that question. Most people aren't promising certainties during this virus because they don't know. That includes people like government leaders, medical professionals, restaurant owners, pastors, parents, and mostly probably even your employers. People just simply don't know and they can't promise certainties in uncertain times. And that really reveals an inner need of man. And this is really an introspective thing to consider is that human beings, by nature, thrive on certainties. I mean, we may never think about it that way, but human beings, by nature, thrive and need, in some ways, certainties. One psychologist said this as a quote, Uncertainty is unsettling because human nature demands predictability. People count on it in daily life, in the structures around them, to function. When they don't have certainties they can become uncomfortable and insecure. Now when I say insecure, and then when that person says insecure, that doesn't mean emotionally vulnerable, which is kind of the way that we think of the word insecure, but it's a very, at its very base meaning, the word insecure means lacking security. That's what it means. It means to lack certain types of security. Now a lack of security is rightfully, logically scary. It's a scary thing to lack security. There's different types of security that it's scary to lack. Job security. Job security is a good thing, and if we lack the job security, that can be a scary thing. 
Home security is an important thing, and if we lack home security, that can be a scary thing. Or financial security, or healthcare security, those things are important. And if we lack those things, then rightfully so, there's a scary nature to lacking a certain type of security. But there's a type of security that we see in the life of one of God's tried and tested servants that is more valuable than all the rest of types of security. And that's the security that is at at the heart of Easter Sunday. And that's the security of knowing that our Redeemer lives. That is a wonderful measure of security. The knowing that our Redeemer lives. And when we look at Job this morning, that's exactly what we're going to see in this passage. Old Testament book, long, long time ago, well even before the incarnate Christ, but it holds within it, I think, wonderful gospel news for us this morning, okay? So Job 19, verses 25 through 27. Let's look at these now. Job 19, 25 through 27 says this, For I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, yet in my flesh I shall see God whom I shall see for myself, and my eyes shall behold, and not another. My heart faints within me. This passage, and even the way that we just read it, maybe you could see it, is that it's a hopeful cry of a man that's in great pain and in great turmoil. And I mean, it starts to make you want to ask the question, why is there such pain behind the words of this guy, Job? Well, as is the case in most stories or narratives in the Bible, it's vital that we know what happened to lead up to this point in Job's life. Job was one of the early, and I say early to mean ancient, long, long time ago. He was one of the early faithful men of God. This book opens with a scene. We're not going to go to the pages, but you can do that later if you'd like. The book opens with a scene in heaven where Satan accuses Job before God of some certain things. I'm going to paraphrase, but Satan essentially says to God, Job only serves you because you protect him. And God's response is that, okay, I give you permission then to go and put his faith and put his loyalty to the test. Now, this is very important, okay? It's a very unusual situation in the narrative that God grants Satan this permission. But listen, this is very important. Satan can only operate within the sovereign appointed rule of God. It's a very, very, very important detail that God permisses this for Job's good and for his glory. But Job goes through great hurt. The book goes on to tell us that he loses his family, he loses his wealth, and he was a very wealthy man. He loses his health. And then three of Job's friends, and that's a loose term, okay, people that call themselves Job's friends, they come to, again, another loose word, to comfort him and to discuss his crushing series of tragedies that have now taken place in his life. And these guys were insistent that the tragedies in Job's life are a direct result of specific sin and patterns of sin in Job's life. Everyone in Job's life is either taken away from him or then treats him like a wicked man deserving of the trials that he's going through. And then we come to chapter 19 in the midst of this back and forth between Job and his so-called friends. It comes in the middle of this series of social dismays. I'm going to paraphrase or rather summarize verses 2 through 6. Essentially, Job is talking to his friends in the whole chapter. But in verses 2 through 6, he essentially says to his friends, How long will you continue to accuse me of these patterns of evil? 
Even if I have done wrong, he says, God is sovereign and he has appointed my circumstances. God is the one that is sovereign over these things. Job remained faithful. He remained loyal to God through all of these things. And he has been firm to his friends that his life has not been one of a pattern of sin. Then in verses 7 through 22, he kind of changed directions. Job tells his friends that he expects that God, this is very important, will vindicate his suffering. Fix it. Rescue him. And he explains that his suffering has brought isolation and indifference from family and friends. And really these verses, verses 7 through 22, are nothing short of a social and relational cry for help. Job's alone. And he feels abandoned by the people in his life. Alone, poor, scorned, and rejected. But he is hopeful that God will ultimately restore him and, when you use this word, redeem him. I want to look at verses 23 and 24, and then we'll look at sort of a format, and if you're taking notes, we'll get there in just a second, okay? Look at verses 23 and 24. He's feeling alone, abandoned. He says, Oh, that my words were written. Oh, that they were inscribed in a book. Oh, that with an iron pen and lead they were engraved in the rock forever. What's he saying here? He wants his shamers and anyone that picks up what he is, what now is a book, anyone that picks it up to read it and see his personal confidence and security that rescue awaits his horrible situation. Now, why would Job have such confidence and such security in the midst of such vast insecurity? Well, that's going to be our outline today. The title of this morning's message is Security in Times of insecurity and we're going to see this in two ways the first way is this a redeemer who stands last a redeemer who stands last if Spring Hill is your church family then that word redeemer should be one that you've heard frequently as of late we just recently got through walking through the book of Ruth and we saw that word a lot it was on the title screen behind my, my head uh, on the screen whenever we were going through the book of Ruth. That word redeemer is important. And we, we saw this lady, this woman, Ruth, this young woman, that Ruth was this poor foreign widow who sought rescue in a, that word, redeemer. Now that word redeemer, and I'm just going to say what it is literally said, it's goel, okay? And that word goel, which is redeemer, is the same word, goel, that is used right here in verse 25. What that means is that that's a buyer, Okay. A redeemer is a buyer, a purchaser, a rescuer from debt or bondage or difficulty, difficult circumstances. And this is exactly what Job is saying here, is that God is my rescuer from my difficulty. He is my buyer when in my bondage. Look at verse 25. He says, For I know, notice that word for, and we'll get there in a second, we'll talk about that. For I know that my redeemer lives, and at the last he will stand upon the earth. God is Job's Goel. He is his redeemer. He is his avenger of his cause. Job's faith is not in God to bring him health and wealth and prosperity, although he does bring him those things later in the book. His faith is in God to rescue and to meet his needs. And that should sound familiar in the person of Ruth that we just recently discussed. The first word in this verse, in verse 25, in my translation, it's for, okay? Maybe but or and. What that tells us, that word's important because it's a transitional word. Because. It's a ground statement for what came right before it. 
So in verses 23 and 24, he essentially said, I want my confession of faith, I want my, my faith in God, my trust in my Redeemer to be recorded. <laughs> I want it to be in stone. I want it to be written down so that people that come after me can see it. This makes me think about uh, when you make a sports prediction or you say that phrase, mark my words, that this is exactly what's going to happen. Now, when I make sports predictions, I'll just be honest, they usually don't happen. And I have friends in my life that make sure that I know that those sports predictions did not happen. But that's sort of what Job is doing here, is that he's saying, mark my words. Okay? He's saying, here's the receipt. You can come back and see it. That when God proves himself to be a redeemer, you can see that my words stood true. Job is essentially saying, I want my words recorded. I want them written down for I have confidence and faith that my Redeemer lives. That is the reason for his confidence. What's the reason? He is confident because for his Redeemer lives. And the last part of that verse is he says, and that his Redeemer, God, will stand at the last. It's a weird phrase. What he's saying, and we have more of a modern way of sort of saying this, is somebody that's the last man standing. Well, what does that mean? If it's some sort of a battle royale or something, the last man standing is the victor. He is, if it's, it's a war situation and there's a last man standing, then that guy won the battle. He won the war. And that's exactly what Job is saying. He got the last laugh, in other words. That God, his Redeemer, will be the last man standing. He will be the victor. Job's point is that despite the onslaught of trials that he himself undergoes, the one who will rescue him has been in control before the trial, he's been in control during the trial, and most importantly, after all trials have ceased, there's one man standing, and it's his Redeemer. Something that we oftentimes see in the Bible, but especially something that we see in the Old Testament, is that oftentimes the person speaking speaks more truly than they realize. What I mean by that is that Job says here, my Redeemer lives, but I think he's saying more than he even realizes that he's saying. God himself, the Spirit of God, wrote Scripture. Now, human agents were used to write these words, but make no mistake, God himself was behind the composition of God's Word. Job believed God was his rescuer, his Redeemer, and that God would vindicate him either now or in eternity. But Job did not know the extent of the redemption that God would bring to his people. Listen, we do, right? Job didn't understand the extent of the redemption that God would bring to his people, but you and I do. We know what happens next. We know what the next couple thousand years hold in the history of God's people, and more specifically, in the person that will redeem and be the redeemer for God's people. That word redeemer, just coming back to that, it means a buyer from bondage, a rescuer from trouble. You know, we live in a world that is seeking meaning and seeking purpose. I want to let you in on something. The Bible is very clear about what God's purpose and design is for you. And that is that he wants to be in fellowship with you for his own glory. God created you for fellowship. In fact, before you were created, God created humanity for fellowship, for intimacy, for a relationship with God. Who were those people? They were Adam and Eve. And Adam and Eve had fellowship with God. They were in an intimate and personal, close relationship with the Holy God of the universe because they, for a time, were without sin. But something happened to change all that. And that fellowship and that relationship were broken. And that's that sin entered the world, that Adam and Eve sinned. And so it broke their fellowship with God. And so their purpose in existence 
was then fractured. You see, sin isn't just something bad that we do. Sin has permanence to it. And the wages of sin, the payment for sin, is death. And that's what all of us require on our heads, is that we will spend eternity apart from God unless God does something to change that. Well, the good news of the gospel is that in that same garden where the curse began, God prophesied that the curse would be broken. That there would come a time that his son, the son of Adam, the son of Eve, would come and put the serpent back in his place. That he would crush the head of the serpent. That was prophesied a long, long time ago. A redeemer would come and buy the, the bound, set free the prisoner. And where do we see that occur? We see that occur at the cross of Christ. See, the cross wasn't just a place where the Son of God died. It was a place where the Son of God laid down payment to break the curse of death on you and I. That was his life. That's why we sing Jesus paid it all. Because the wages of sin is death. 2 Corinthians 5.21, speaking about what God has done in Christ, says this, For our sake he made him to be sin, become the curse, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. What that means is that Jesus purchased your freedom with his life. <clears throat> Church, you may never lose as much as this man, Job, but you have or you will find yourself undergoing loss and weakness and brokenness. Where can security be found? Where there is no security of a steady paycheck? Where can security be found where there's not enough mortgage money? Where there's a deteriorating body? Where there's an uncertain future? Where there's a lonely social life? Where can security be found when there's a depression or a depressing relational life. In those times, and we don't want to be ignorant, right? And be real for a second. In those times, we can be reminded that our Redeemer, our Provider, our Rescuer, your Rescuer, lives. And that He will be the last one standing. And listen, He is for you, not against you. Isn't that good news? That is great news. That our Redeemer lives, and He will be the last man standing. And He's for us, not against us. That's what Romans 8.31 says when it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who, and I would even say what, can be against us, culturally speaking? Romans 8.28, And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to His purpose. Now, don't miss that, okay? How many things work together for the good of God's people? All things. You know what that includes? COVID-19. All things work together for God's people's good. This is a tough season of life for us, for some far worse than others. But God has appointed sovereignly this trial in our lives for your good. Your Redeemer lives. We find ourselves in the height of of maybe our personal, but certainly our nation's insecurity. And yet, we have a great security. Our Redeemer lives. And maybe some good questions that we can be asking ourselves right now, personally, as we're sort of shut in, is how can I trust Him, trust my Redeemer, as my security 
today? What does that look like functionally for me to trust in him as my security when things feel very insecure and I'm afraid? People in your home are afraid. We may not share the innermost thoughts of who we are, but there are people under your roof that are scared right now. And dads and moms, what an opportunity for you to use this and say, how can I reemphasize to my spouse and to my kids that our Redeemer lives and that our security doesn't come from the things that we have around us. Our security is in eternity with the Lord. Good things to consider. Our Redeemer lives. And the last part of that is that we will too, which is the second way that we see security in times of insecurity is that a life that is yet to come. Security in times of insecurity. Number two, a life that is yet to come. Now, just being honest and sincere, I don't think that it's sound to assert that Job has some sort of ancient, pre-incarnate Christ understanding of the resurrection in the end times. I don't think that he's aware and has knowledge of Jesus' resurrection. However, it's clear in the passage <clears throat> that Job has some sort of understanding that this life will eventually give way to another more glorious existence in which he will see his Redeemer. We see this very clearly in verse 26. He says, And after my skin has been thus destroyed, <laughs> yet in my flesh I shall see God. And after my skin has been thus destroyed, he says, yet in my flesh I shall see God. God. Now, I'm reading from the ESV, and when I read that, you may look down at your translation and say, I don't know, that, that doesn't, that's not exactly what mine says. And there's a really difficult translation and interpretive issue in this passage, and I just want to kind of engage that really quickly. Part of this, in my translation, it says, Yet in my flesh I shall see God. In your translation, it may say something like, From or without my flesh I shall see God. Now, listen, there's an interpretive issue there where it, that word in or without is a little bit confusing, but... What Job was essentially saying is, after my body, my skin has been destroyed, and what he's saying is, after I have now died, I will, either without my body or in my body, see God. And I'm just here to suggest to you, it doesn't change the main meaning of the passage either way. Here's what I mean. Whether Job understands this to be physical or not, his point is that apart from this current body and life, he would live a life in the future in which he sees God as final redeemer of his painful circumstances. That a time is coming, apart from this life, another life is coming where he will see his redeemer in full. And then he doubles down on this in verse 27. Whom I shall see for myself. There it is again. Look, and my eyes shall behold and not another. What Job is saying is I may die, but I will glory in my permanent Redeemer. But this next part is so, so important. Look at the last line of verse 27. He says, My heart, you're just going to say reigns, it just means the innermost part of me. My heart faints within me. Job has given an amazing, hopeful confession, right? Verses 25 and 26, there's so much hope tied in there. And even most of verse 27, a hopeful confession. But he throws in a separate sobering line at the very end. I'm going to paraphrase what that means, is that he says at the last of verse 27, deep inside of me, I am broken right now. He says, the reason my future hope is so important that I cling to is because right now I'm being torn apart in the deepest part of my heart. 
I think that this is probably my favorite part of this passage because it's just so real. Job is very transparent in this book, and it's, it's like a, a long journal entry. But this is very sincere in this man's life. Job knows the good news, but that doesn't take away the present reality of the bad news. He knows that his Redeemer lives, and there will come a day where he will behold him. But that doesn't change the fact that there's real hurt in his life right now. There will come a day that you will get to see your friends, and you'll get to hang out. But it doesn't change the fact that you're lonely today, right? There will come a day when paychecks are consistent again, but that doesn't change the fact that there are financial insecurities today. There will come a day that you will overflow with joy, but that doesn't change that you are discouraged and perhaps even depressed today. Listen, God doesn't promise to rid your life. This is very important. He doesn't promise to rid your life of hurt today, but he promises this that he is your refuge and strength in the midst of those hurts. God doesn't promise to rid your life of sin today, but he does promise that a day is coming that you will sin no more. That's good news. He doesn't always remove the problem, but there is always a solution. How do you get through the insecurities of today? You long for the securities of tomorrow. And I mean that metaphorically. Tomorrow may come and we may not have many more securities. But there will come a day when security will be held. And this is why I thought that this passage was the perfect Easter 2020 message. Job faced insecure trials, but believed in a secure future and an everlasting Redeemer. But we know now what he didn't know then. And that's that his words were truer even than he realized. If there's no Easter Sunday, then Good Friday is far from good, right? If there's no Easter Sunday, then Good Friday is far from good. One verse that I think perfectly typifies this is 1 Corinthians 15 verses 19 through 21. This is what it says. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep, meaning they will wake up. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. This is what that means. Adam died, and so all men died. With Adam comes the passing down of a lineage of the wages of sin is death. Adam died, and so all men die. But hear me say this, that Jesus is alive, and so you and I may have life. Adam died, and so all men die. Jesus is alive, and so all men may have life. Guys, that is the good news of the gospel, and that's why we, resurrect, or that's why we celebrate the resurrection and Easter Sunday. That's the good news. That psychologist that I mentioned when we began today stated, uncertainty is unsettling because human nature demands predictability. People count on it to function. Listen, today is an insecure day with insecure days to come. Make no mistake. But there is a reason that we call Christ the solid rock, isn't there? There's a reason that he is the solid rock, the firm foundation. He is our predictable rescuer in an unpredictable world. He is our certain savior in uncertain times. And he is the cornerstone, not of this fleeting life, 
but of the imperishable, undefiled, and unfading life to come. To echo the words of Job, and we'll close with this, may our lives be engraved in the rock forever, for we know our Redeemer lives. Let's go live like it. Let's pray. Father, you are marvelous and glorious. The gospel is our life force. Lord, I emphasize life because you have given us life. The reason that we can have hope and security in moments of insecurity is because that grave in the Middle East is empty. And Lord, we glory in our Redeemer because of that. Thank you for Christ. I pray, Lord, for the people that are listening to this message today. And I know and they know that there's real hurt in their lives. And you don't promise that, there will, that if there's a day today that that hurt will be no more. But you promise that there is a Redeemer, a refuge, and a strength for those that are going through hurt. There are people that are going through patterns of sin that we are warring against like crazy and we are losing. And you don't promise that sin will be removed from our lives today, but you promise that there will come a day when sin will be no more. Lord, we anticipate and we hope in that day. And we thank you that our Redeemer lives. Lord, there are people listening now that can't say that that is their good news because that wage of death is still on their head. What better day than the celebration of the resurrection on Sunday, than to give their life to Jesus right now. Lord, you don't have to be, we don't have to be in a church building. We don't have to walk an aisle to profess saving faith in Jesus. I pray that right now in the comfort of their living room or their bedroom, that they would fall on their face and that they would confess, Lord, that they are a sinner in desperate need of your saving grace and that they would confess for the first time Jesus as Lord and as Savior. Lord, I thank you that if there is someone that has done that right now, we give you glory for that. And I pray that they would stand firm and hold fast to the cornerstone of the unfading, undefiled, and unperishing glory that they have in you, their Redeemer. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I hope that today is an awesome day. We have an awesome Savior, and we have so many reasons to rejoice. And I hope that today is full of rejoicing. It's not usual, and you're not able to maybe do some of the things that you would normally do. Lunch may look different. Um, the evening may look different. Certainly church has looked different. But uh, your standing with Jesus is the same. And our Savior is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, just a reminder that uh, online giving is available, and that's in the, de the description below. And um, I think that there uh, that it'll be maybe in, in this video as well, and the, the graphic there. Uh, and then also, don't, don't forget that the discussion questions will follow our time. We'll put that graphic up here in just a moment. Man, I hope that uh, today is a good day and that God reminds you that in times of insecurity, that you have great reason to be secure in our Redeemer. God bless you, and we love you, and we'll see you soon, okay? Bye.